Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane on Friday, July the 13th. This week's feature concerns appropriate prescribing for elderly people. In a moment, I'll be talking to the author of a mini-series in this week's issue. Before that, some other highlights to mention. We published two articles and a comment concerning the use of chemotherapy in the treatment of colorectal cancer. The trials, called FOCUS and Cairo, suggest that a less intensive course of chemotherapy involving a sequential use of chemotherapeutic agents could be as effective as conventional combination therapy. However, the comment cautions that a sequential approach is probably only appropriate for a subgroup of patients with less advanced disease. The debate continues. Online, we publish a study which suggests that, disappointingly, the use of lubricant gels and a diaphragm, in addition to condom use, does not offer further protection against HIV-AIDS than condom use alone. And we have editorials about radical plans for health insurance cover in the US state of Massachusetts, another about pollution and public health in China, and another editorial about the neglected state of mental health services in the UK. This is also picked up in a special report in this week's issue of The Lancet. But back to our main feature, appropriate prescribing for older people, the subject of a mini-series of two articles in this week's issue. Earlier I spoke to the series coordinator, Dr. Anne Spinewein from the Université Catholique de Louvain in Brussels, Belgium. And I began by asking her why clinicians need to be aware of the specific healthcare needs of older people. Older people do have specific needs, for example, with regard to faults and mental health problems associated with older age. And a structure like the National Service Framework for Older People in the UK precisely focus on such specific needs. Now, as you said, use of medicines, this is what we focus on in the papers, is certainly an area that requires special attention in this population. And there are several reasons for this, actually. The vast majority of older people take medicines medicines every day, and many of them take more than five medicines per day. These medicines can save lives or improve quality of life, but if they are not used or prescribed appropriately, this can be harmful for patients and also costly for the society. So unfortunately, there is robust evidence showing that inappropriate prescribing in older people is frequent, and this has adverse clinical economic and humanistic consequences. So with the aging population, this problem has become really an important public health issue today. Thank you. And how do you actually measure inappropriate prescribing among elderly people? You must have some kind of scale or you need some evidence that the prescribing is inappropriate. Yes, certainly. And measuring inappropriate prescribing is a big question. There are several instruments and tools that have been developed to measure inappropriate prescribing specifically in elderly people. Those can be processed or outcome measures and explicit or implicit in nature. And a first category of process measures are drug-focused and they consist, for example, of lists of drugs that should be avoided in this population because the risks of using them outweigh the benefits and the BEERS criteria are certainly the most widely used criteria. The advantage is that it can be applied on large prescribing databases. The main drawback is with regard to poor specificity and poor sensitivity. Now, there are other process explicit measures that have been developed and that go beyond this drug to avoid perspective. And the criteria focus, for example, on dosage, duplication, or interactions. And a very good example is the ACOF indicators that were developed in the U.S. And these indicators aim to assess quality of care for vulnerable elders. 
and several indicators refer to medicine. The advantage is that they address events of over, under, and misprescribing that are relevant to the geriatric population. So these are examples of explicit measures of inappropriate prescribing. Now, it is also possible, as I said before, to follow more implicit approaches to, me to measure prescribing. And in such approaches, a clinician uses information from the patient and published work to make uh, judgments about appropriateness. And this approach is clearly the most sensitive approach because it can account for the burden of comorbidities as well as patient preferences. Now, the main drawback is that it is very time-consuming and that there can be a problem with uh, inter-rater reliability. Just a couple of other thoughts on this. Can you give some examples of drugs that are inappropriately prescribed to elderly people? I think with regard to over-prescribing, uh, neuroleptic drugs is certainly a very good example, especially in nursing homes. Many patients do receive these drugs for what we call invalid indications, such as confusion. That is not a valid indication for prescribing a neuroleptic drug. Now, with regard to misprescribing examples, I think errors with uh, dosage is a very common example. We could, for example, take medicine that is renally eliminated, uh, for which the prescriber will give a dose that is fine for a 50-year-old adult, but not for an elderly person, for example, and to give an example of under-prescribing, we could give the example of a patient with osteoporosis and fractures that is not receiving a bisphosphonate, or a patient with cardiovascular events not receiving a statin, for example. Those are frequent examples of inappropriate prescribing. This clearly is a very important issue, and although this sounds quite negative in terms of if you like, inappropriate prescribing that is going on. It's also worth pointing out that your paper talks about, in a positive way, about the way individuals, elderly people, respond to a multifaceted team, such as doctors, nurses, and other health professionals who actually do the prescribing. Yes, there have been several randomized controlled trials that show that if the patient is cared for by a geriatric multidisciplinary team, then the outcome will be improved. And this has also been proven with regard to appropriateness of medicines use. And so I think this is very important that such approaches are implemented in practice. So this is the main components are a multidisciplinary approach with geriatric specialists and involvement of clinical pharmacists. Indeed. And briefly, if you would, the second paper looks specifically at drug interactions, and that's obviously, again, very crucial in this area. What are the main conclusions you have in that paper? The main conclusions are that drug interactions, first of all, are very frequent in elderly people for several reasons that I have mentioned before. One difficulty in observational studies is to measure the actual rate of drug interactions because it depends on the definition we use, on the clinical significance rating, for example. Another important point that is raised in the paper is about the detection, management of pre and prevention of drug interactions. Again, we insist on a global approach that is patient-centered and, if possible, that is provided by a multidisciplinary team where every person, so the physician, the nurse and the pharmacist, do play an important role to manage drug interactions. Indeed echoing the main conclusions from the first paper too. Just to conclude, your hopes and aspirations are, presumably through publication of this mini-series, that physicians and other health professionals will become more aware of the potential hazards of inappropriate or misprescribing among elderly people. I think physicians 
that are trained in geriatrics do know the hazards of medication use in elderly people, but this is not the case for other physicians that have not been trained in geriatric pharmacotherapy or that are not used to having a global and multidisciplinary approach to the care of elderly patients. And so, yes, the paper conveys a very important message to increase the awareness of physicians on this issue. Dr. Spinewine, thank you very much for talking to The Lancet. You're welcome. Thank you. Dr. Anne Spinewine concluding this week's podcast. Many thanks for listening. See you next week.